Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. Tom Moran here from Tom's Big Spires. So we're going to kick this one off with an apology in advance. For my entire summer break, I did not feed out any crickets whatsoever. I usually, there's a pet store right around the corner from the school I work at where I get my crickets from. I get like a thousand of them every month or so. And I didn't feel like driving all the way up there. And as luck would have it, my colonies of B. lateralis roaches had exploded. I had hundreds of males that I was pulling out daily so that I could get some babies. And so I spent the entirety of the summer feeding out some of them. And I have B. dubia roaches as well and fed out some larger B. dubias to ones that molted. So I didn't have to get crickets for almost two and a half straight months, which was amazing because when I sit down and do the podcast, it's so nice to not have to remember to move the cricket bin out of the room. I have to do that all the time and to not inevitably have the crickets that have escaped while I was feeding chirping in the background. Well, I just sat down this morning and first I started recording. I'm going, I'm rolling, I'm doing a, doing my podcasting. And then I realized I never removed the bin of crickets and they were going full blast. So I stopped, rewound, deleted what I did, moved the bin of crickets crickets, sat down to do the podcast again, started talking, and there is a cricket somewhere behind me that is chirping away. So I do something at the end of the podcast where I go through and try to remove the background noise as best I can. Sometimes you get the cricket. Usually what ends up happening is the cricket chirps through the entire podcast, and then when I try to get that quiet, dead air, there's a point where I let the podcast run when I'm done for a little while just to get the ambient sounds of the room, and those are what I try to get out of there. So if there's any noise in the background like crickets, it should take them out. Unfortunately, usually by the time I get to that point, the crickets stop chirping. So I'm going to apologize because those of you that are listening to this in your cars or with earphones are probably going to hear crickets at some point, but I do want to get this podcast done today and I can't wait for this little booger behind me to stop chirping. So we're just going to go ahead and forge on with the podcast. Our first topic, well not really topic, we're going to go back to last week because like a doofus I put on, hey why don't you guys chime in with your slowest growing tarantula species and I never posted up on Facebook. Now a heads up, I tried, I don't know what's going on. Facebook just did a whole thing where they just completely changed everything on Facebook and I'm hating it. I don't use it all that much to begin with, but it just seems like it's messed up everything I do. So I used to be able to just go right from the podcast site and there's a little thing I click and it says post on Facebook. It would go to Facebook and I could throw it up. It would have a nice little link in the a little picture of the thumbnail, whatever. It, it worked great and I could put my little message in and we're done. Unfortunately, that is not working for me right now. So I hit it the other day. I said post. I walked away. And then a couple days later, I get a YouTube comment by Rosalinda Mendez, thank you, uh, telling me it wasn't posted up. So at first, I'm like, oh, I'm such a doofus, I didn't do it. What I realized after was, unfortunately, it's not allowing me to post it through the website anymore. It's telling me I'm getting an error or something. So what I must have done is hit the post button, and I'm sure this has probably happened before. It didn't go through. I thought it was done. I turned the computer off the evening and didn't notice. So anyway, we got it back up. Unfortunately, it doesn't have a little thumbnail. I'm still trying to figure out how to do that thing, but it means I'm going to have to go into Facebook now to post these. So that's my excuse. I apologize. There's nothing like telling people, hey, chime in with the ones that, you know, your slowest growing species and giving them no way to do so. So to run through, I got a lot of responses for this, which is awesome. And not a lot of responses that I'm surprised at. So the first one, Eric Topping, G. Polkra, big surprise. I don't remember the last time it molted. I hear you 100% on that. I've had two. They've both grown at a glacially slow pace. My second one I thought was going to be a fast grower. It surprised me at first because it did a lot of growing early on and got out of that 
that small stage got up to like an inch or so. And usually they start putting on massive size then, but not that one, not this one. Once it hit one inch, that's when it kind of slowed way down. Samuel Taylor, I had a sea darlingi sling that didn't molt for over a year and a half and would go through periods of eating and not, and then just drop dead one day. Oh, that's a bummer. Okay. So that one sounds like that one wasn't doing well. I was gonna say sea darlingi, Mine grew fairly quickly overall. So sorry to hear that, Samuel. I, I don't like losing anything, and it sounds like there was something wrong with the spider. Obviously, that's a weird situation. Those guys are usually ravenous eaters and grow fairly quickly. Janelle Essman, my G. Polkra, was the first spider I picked up as a three-quarter inch sling in May of 2020. Grew really great for the first year, hit around two inches, and then went 363 days. I love that you have the actual day count. I always estimate that's fantastic. Great record keeping there. Without a molt and five months without eating presumptive, she is now right around 2.5 inches and is fat as can be. I'm preparing for another stretch. That's exactly the spot, right around the spot where mine completely slowed down. Right now, she's probably about two and a quarter inches or so. The last one, I think I told you guys, you know, over a year without molting, it was ridiculous. I We've been in this house for over a year and a half, and she hadn't molted in that entire time period. And if I remember correctly, hadn't molted for a while when we're at the old house. So yes, the G pokers, they seem to hit that magic spot where they just stop molting for a little while. Next up, we have Bill Stokesbury. I got an Afonapelma Calcotis half-inch sling. After three years, she was 1.2 inches. That's actually pretty good growth rate for those, Bill. No, seriously, the Afonapelma Calcotis, I don't know what's going on with mine, though. Now I'm kind of curious to see if maybe I have a male. It's I've... My The one I picked up a couple years ago, right now I'm looking over at her. I can see her from here, and she's pushing two and a half inches, which doesn't sound like much for something you've had for several years. But for an Afonapelma species, she's running laps around spiders that I think I picked up two years before I got her, including my Afonapelma mori. So we'll see how that goes. But yeah, Afonapelma, definitely some of the slowest growing ones out there. Lee Atri, Atri, hopefully I said your name. I'm going to apologize in advance to anybody's name I butchered. I tried to practice these ahead of time, but I'm not quite sure on some of them. I've only been keeping just over a year, but my G Polker piece has molted once and gained all of one millimeter in size. Given that it was two inches when I got it, felt a bit disheartened. My fastest growing has been my C Versicolor, gone from an inch and a half to four inches in nine months. So, yep, G Polker piece was definitely one of my slowest growing. I've had four of them, all of them very slow growing. So, no big shock there. I will say, though, Lee, they are totally worth the wait when they hit that mark where they start picking up the golden stripes on their knees and you start seeing the little Jeep poker bees that you've been admiring pictures of the adults for so long. It is totally worth it. And then it seems like after they hit around the three inch mark, they start putting on some decent size, but still I've got one here that hasn't molted in a year and a half. So I probably shouldn't say that, but they, it's totally worth the wait. Obviously one of my favorite spiders. And then my C versicolors were all slower growing up until they hit that like two inch mark. And then they seem to put on some decent size. I think my first one was pretty slow growing. The last two that I had or three that I had, unfortunately I had two males on it were slow growing as well. So yeah, I guess I'm a little envious of your growth rate there with the C Versicolor. Next one, Anna Galahar. I think that's how you pronounce it. And if I pronounce mispronounce, I'm so sorry. Afonapelma Diamondback. It's molted five times and I can't tell it's grown any. LOL. I have to hold my breath to collect the tiny exuvia only for it to blow away. So I gave up trying to measure for now. That's the other thing. And I don't know if I covered this point on the podcast. Hopefully I did address this. Some of them, they molt. They just don't seem to pick up any size, which can be frustrating as anything because you're you're trying to get them out of the sling stage. This is particularly evident with the Afonapelma 
realm I found in my experience. They spend so much time under an inch. If you get the little teeny second instar babies, they stay there for quite a while. And it can be a bit unnerving because other species by that point, other species, they're adults by the time they even hit an inch. So to say that it can be a bit frustrating watching these guys grow up can be a bit of an understatement. I get why people get you know, <laughs> impatient with them to reach that adult status or even show any of those juvenile or adult colors because it can take forever. Next one, next one we have is Danny Pereira, my B-Classy tiny sling after almost a year and just one molt. Yep, my B-Classy was actually a slow grower as well. I think I had it in my head. She grew faster than she did, and then I looked at how long ago I got her and what size she's at now. She did, I will tell you, once she hit around an inch and a half, we'll say two inches or so, she seemed to put on good size with each molt after that. Not sure how big yours is, but if it's a sling, you've got a little ways to go. But once they get that juvenile stage, they tend to put on some decent size with the molts. Lake and Morris, I got this girl, my Afana Palma Mori, about four years ago. Pretty slow growing, but my Brachypelma albiceps takes the cake for slowest growing. I think it gets smaller each time it molts. First off, she posted a beautiful picture here of her Mori, and I am so jealous because it looks like it's like three inches. Why is mine so slow growing? I think somebody posted recently that they picked one up the same time I got mine, and it was the same thing. It was like three inches showing colors. I, I, I'm going to have to have a talk with mine because she's not growing at all, and it's funny that you mentioned the B albiceps because I did pick up some B albiceps a year and a half ago or so, and they are incredibly, for some reason I had it in my head they were going to be faster growing. When I got them, they seemed to be decent sized slings, probably under under a half inch or so. And it's funny you mentioned that because they both just molted, and I swear to God, they didn't gain any size whatsoever. So I think it gets smaller each time. I can definitely see that with this species. Next one, we have Ian Tarantula. Uh, Tleet Schroderi. I got it as a two centimeter sling in January of 2019, back when it was still in the Brachypelma genus. She molted last month, and here is her molt. So it looks like not a lot of size with that one. Another slow growing one. Cindy Hen Ward. I have had my Afonapelma Hensi sling, Daryl. I love that name. For two years, he went from an eighth of an inch to three quarters of an inch. I have two Afonapelma Hensi slings, and both of them right now are about, ah, I would say maybe an inch and a half, an inch and a quarter, and I think I've had them for about four years, and I got them as teeny tiny slings, again, very slow growing. I'm hoping these next molts, now that they've gone over the one inch mark, will bring uh, decent size jumps with them, but I'm not holding my breath. Angela Brickner, my G Porteri that I got two and a half years ago at about the size of a thumbnail is not yet two inches yet. Yep, my G Porteris, G Roseas, definitely super slow growing spiders. I think I mentioned in the, the last podcast, my son, Roan, it's one of the ones he always asks about when he eventually wanders up here to kind of see what's going on. And he's like, where's that one that never grows? And it's been a running joke for years. So, yep, absolutely. Ava Casper asks, is there a way to get these podcasts on a Roku TV? Oh, <laughs> I probably should have previewed that. That's not actually about the slowest growing one. But Ava, just to answer your question, I believe if you can get the you can get the Amazon Music app on Roku TV, you should be able to get them through there. I know it's on Amazon Music because that's how I made my kids think that I was a lot bigger than I was, where I asked Alexa to play Tom's Big Spiders, the podcast, and she played it. And my, my 11-year-old, who is absolutely not impressed with anything I do, it's kind of a running thing he and I have, was actually impressed, which was awesome. So you should be able to get it through that. Tank McCoy says, a Fauna Pelma by Coloradum. By far, I got one as 
a half centimeter sling three years ago, and it's like 1.5 to 2 centimeters now. It's still in the same condiment cup I housed it in when I first got it. It's funny you mention that. I actually ended up rehousing mine at one point, not because they need it, just because I got sick of them being in the same container for two years. I'm like, the heck with it. I'm giving you guys a bigger container. So I totally get that. Maya Fauna Pelma by Colorado. I don't know if I ever addressed this in the podcast. I think something came up and I didn't end up saying it or talking about it. I had one that I got as a second in-star sling, grew up, molted, reached two and a quarter inches, and promptly dropped dead. I was so upset. I had raised this thing. It was showing its adult colors. It was gorgeous. It molded I'm like this. I can't wait to feed it. Came in one day. It was laid out like it was doing some tarantula yoga. Came in the next day. Same position. I started to get worried, so I opened it up, and it had passed. I can't tell you how upset I was. That was years of raising this one up. I couldn't wait to see those adult colors. I got a glimpse of them before it passed. So, uh, probably shouldn't have kind of brought the whole thing down there, but it just it brought that memory back in because I think I was going to cover it in a podcast, and I think I got sidetracked and never ended up talking about it. So, yes, I definitely hear you about the Buy Colorado. Mine took forever, I think like four years, three and a half, four years to get to that point where she was showing those colors. And then unfortunately passed away. Next up, we have Joe Merringer, who says, I have a couple of uh, Fonapelma species diamondback slings. Again, those pop up quite a bit, uh, half an inch, that me and my girlfriend joke about willing to grandkids is one inch sling. I'm glad to know I'm not the only one that jokes like that. Billy and I talk about that sometimes with some of ours. Like, we've already got our, our grandson, and like I hope he knows he's getting a bunch of spiders, and they're probably not going to be that big. But the G Polkra is unbelievably slow. Got him to two inches, and after 13 months, molted out to drum roll. Two inches, that sounds about right. Oh no, I think mine's right around that mark now. I was hoping it was going to put on some size. Yeah, the G Polka, and it's funny because that's the one where somebody sent me photos years ago of one they got as a sling, and during the course of a year, it molted like six times, and they had all the, the molts laid out, so you could see it was like it was molting, and they had the dates and everything had written, so I don't know how. Sometimes some people seem to get those turbo G Polkras that just molt out no problem. Mine, every one of them I've ever had has been very slow growing. And finally, we have one from Jennifer Hansen, B. Albiceps. I think it's gained about one centimeter this last year. I hear you, Jennifer. Again, I wish mine had gained one centimeter. Mine are still about one centimeter, and they've been about, actually, I think less than one centimeter for about a year and a half now. So definitely, I probably should have included that one. So we're definitely going to add B. Albiceps to it. And the a fauna pelma species in general are one. So I'm glad to hear there was no big surprises. A lot of times I do lists like these. I do fastest growing, slower growing. And sometimes people chime in with stuff that makes me very, very jealous. Like, Or in some cases, fastest growing ones, there's people that chime in. Like I one guy with Formictopus, all my Formictopus had hit really good sizes within a year, at least three inches with the majority of them hitting uh, four to five inches. And I had one guy to say after a year, his was only about two inches, which blew my mind. So Awesome. Thank you so much for chiming in. I love the ones where we can kind of go back to it and kind of get some people in here and on the podcast besides just me talking with my own opinion, hear other people's opinions. So we'll definitely do that in the future. And I'll definitely make sure to double check next time that the podcast posted up on Facebook so that you guys can all chime in. It's There's nothing like saying, hey, go ahead and let me know and then not giving anybody any means to do so. So for today's podcast topic, we are going to be talking a bit about enclosure sizes because it just keeps coming up. And I did cover this topic way back in season one. I think it was March of 2018, so four years ago. And I, it's one that I planned on revisiting a bit because, again, I think sometimes it bears repeating, and I think I have stuff to add to it. My 
Over the course of four years, sometimes I encounter different situations, scenarios, questions, people, things that just make me think about these things a little bit differently. Plus, I think there are some topics that just bear revisiting after a certain amount of time just to kind of give people that maybe miss those. And the older podcast, the, the sound quality is pretty terrible. Of course, right now I got the cricket going in the background, so we really can't talk about that too much. But I think it'll give us an opportunity to discuss it maybe in a little more detail, add some nuance to it where we might ha- not have in the first place. Because when I first started doing those podcasts, I'll be honest, I was trying to get them done in like 20 minutes. I felt so awkward doing them. I, it, I'd get into them, I'd start talking, and I'd be like, all right, let's go, let's go. And then I'd hit that 25-minute, 30-minute mark, and we were good. And nowadays, they tend to go way over that much more comfortable talking and, and breaking down the topics in more depth. I understand the whole format better, the fact that it, it, you guys have a much better attention span than the folks over at YouTube. I mean, YouTube... I'm lucky if 10% of the people actually watch an entire video over here. And with this long format, you guys put it on, you listen to it while you're at work, while you're driving, while you're going on family vacation, whatever it may be, you're listening to the whole thing, which is awesome. So I can put a little extra time into it. So this is still a topic that I get a lot of questions about, usually weekly, some question either through email or through my YouTube comments. And a lot of times it's around, is this enclosure too small? Is this enclosure too large? And then the old faithful why are you keeping your tarantulas in such tiny homes they need room to move around and exercise so to kick it off let's start by talking about slings specifically because this is this is the only size the i don't know what you call age group size group of tarantulas that it can become an issue if you don't pick an appropriate size enclosure so first off let's start with the question i get quite a bit and we'll explain why I get this question, then move into kind of breaking down the nuances of it. Can I put my sling in its adult enclosure? I literally got this one this morning, and it wasn't can I, it's I don't understand why you do all the rehousings. I'm just going to put my, I think it was a three-quarter inch Laziadora, Laziadora Parahibana, and they were going to put it into a 15-gallon aquarium. So for those of you who have been in the hobby for a while, you immediately recognize the issues with that, especially of all species, Lazidor parahibana, it's infamous for burrowing when they're smaller. That's not going to be a good situation. And I did respond. I did not get a response back yet, but I did explain and then gave them a link to the podcast. I think there was, I covered a podcast a while back, the question, can I drop slings into adult enclosures? And I explained why. Bottom line, the most important things, factors to consider when you are raising a sling and trying to find housing for it is can your tarantula find food and can you find the tarantula? That's incredibly important when housing slings. When you, any of you out there that have kept some of the dwarf species, the tiny species, the ones that start off and they're literally with a leg span of under a quarter inch, they are incredibly difficult to spot. Even in time, I've had ones in smaller dram vials and had a difficult time spotting the spiders. And I had pretty good eyesight. So you're talking about you're staring in there trying to find the spider, but it's blending in so well with just what are kind of very small little chunks of dirt and peat or whatever you're keeping it in, cocoa fiber, but you can't see the spider. It's essential, I think, that you're able to at least have a shot at spotting where that spider is. So I think with slings, it's crucial that you put them in something that's a little bit smaller. Mind you, in the wild, they're going to be digging these little holes, little burrows, hiding underneath things, little tight spaces. They don't want to be out and about. They don't need room to exercise. That's another thing that we'll get into a little bit when we get into the adults. They don't need to run around. It's not like your hamster that needs a wheel, your dog that needs a walk, your cat that needs to run around. Nothing like that. 
They want to feel secure. They want to be able to find food. You want to be able to find them and you want to be able to find the food. That's another important thing that we'll get into when we get into the larger ones, but I'll discuss it here as well. There is nothing. We've all been there. You have a sling. You're not sure if it's in primo. You're not sure if it's eaten. It looks like it's burrows open. You drop a prey at them in and you wait to see if it takes a prey at them. You come in a few hours later, you realize the, sl- the sling has gone way down in its burrow. It's not biting on the prey at them. You go in, you find the prey at them, you pluck it out. No issues whatsoever. What happens is if you put them in something bigger, you run the chance of not being able to find that prey item. You have situations, and I've had people approach me with, uh, I dropped, I have my sling in an enclosure, but I'm not sure if it's eating. And then they send me photos of the enclosure, and there's this teeny tiny sling in this, what I believe is a much too large enclosure. And they're dropping prey items in, and there's like a lot of times they have moss, they might have leaf litter, they have all kinds of decorations. They can't find the prey item, so they're not sure if the sling is eating. You want to, in those early stages, be able to make sure you're positive your sling is eating and to recognize when your sling is not eating. The prey items can and will attack a molting spider. They're attracted to the moisture when they actually molt. They can go in there. The spider is soft. It's not hardened. It's not able to defend itself, and they will eat a molting spider. I have had it happen. It was horrific. A spider molted. I had dropped the prey item in. I thought the spider was way too small to molt. I thought it ate the prey item. I looked around, didn't see the prey item. It wasn't even that big of an enclosure. I come back the next day. I find the spider out of its burrow, freshly molted, missing several legs, and its abdomen punctured. Horrific. I was heartbroken. It can happen. So you want to make sure that you can track the spider and the spider can find the food. Now, I've had folks come in and go, well, in the wild, they have the whole world, the whole forest, the whole savanna, whatever it may be, to find food. Absolutely. Yeah, I understand that. This isn't the wild. In the wild, there are multiple prey insects and prey items around them all the time, passing by around their dens. That's why it's easy for them to just kind of go out when they want to eat and not go out when they don't want to eat. In captivity, they get whatever we drop in there. So if I put my spider, and I've got a one-inch spider, and I put it in a 10-gallon tank, that prey item has that entire tank to hide and eventually die and have the spider not find it because there's going to be no other prey items. It's not like it's it's a real ecosystem where there's items going by all the time. It's whatever we drop in. And no, the solution to that is not to go and drop a bunch of prey items in so that it has some. We, we covered that way back where you had somebody that would basically put the prey items that you would normally keep in a bin, like you'd have a bunch of crickets and you'd put some carrots in there and some food for them and keep them in there. He would just put the carrots and food in the tank with the spider and have dozens of crickets running around. I'm not saying to do that. The problem is when they're small slings, you want to make sure they can find that food. As it is, many small slings won't even hunt at that stage. A lot of them will scavenge feed. So you want to make sure you can keep track of them. So no, I don't find it ever appropriate to drop a sling into an adult enclosure. It kind of drives me nuts. It's one of those things that, uh, and you have to ask yourself, and this is something that I've noticed with a lot of the folks that say, I'm going to put the sling in adult enclosure, it's always an old world species that they're probably not prepared for. So for example, the last time I got it, it was for a piece of Letharia. They bought a piece of Letharia regardless, and it was about three quarters of an inch, and they were putting it in a 12 by 12 by 16 inch Exoterra mini tall. No, they're not going to be able to find the prey well enough. You're going to have a spider that might starve. Plus, you can't keep track of it. You can't tell when it's molting. You can't tell when it's growing. It can be hard to tell where they are when they're that small. It's hard enough to tell where they are. I have some, I've dropped three quarter inch 
pokies into cylindrical containers, those big ones, and had a hard time finding where exactly the den was before. It's It behooves you to make sure that you can keep track of that spider and the spider can find food. And if you're not ready for that spider, if you're already dreading the rehouses, which let's call it as it is, rehousings are part of the hobby. I think they're a fun part of the hobby. For me, doing the videos and stuff, that's the one time I can get footage of them because I'm not going to sit there and do photo shoots and tease them out of their dens or anything. When I'm rehousing them, that's a shot to show people how to do the rehousings and for me to get some footage of my spiders. That's why I wait a lot of times to do husbandry videos until I'm doing a rehousing because the spider's already out. I'm already bothering it. We might as well get images of it. And that's, and again, anybody gets in the hobby, you're going to do, if you're doing it right, you're going to have to do rehousing. So dropping them, when you come to me and go, I'm getting an OBT, I can't wait. I've decided I'm dropping it into a 12 by 12 by 12 Exoterra Mini. No, that means you're probably not ready for it. We need to learn how to do those rehousings. We don't want to avoid them. And dropping a spider into an enclosure that large, in my opinion, is not doing right by the spider. You are putting the spider at risk of being able to find food, to have a good environment to grow up in, because you're afraid of rehousing it when it gets a bit older. That That's something where I'd like to tell people, just hold off until you feel more comfortable with it. Now, as far as picking the correct size enclosure for a sling, I think that's the easiest... <laughs> size to pick an enclosure for because we have things that a lot of us use that are inexpensive, readily available that kind of fit any size sling. So usually I defer to there's different size dram vials. There are the five ounce deli cups. There are the 16 ounce deli cups. I have found 20 ounce deli cups, which I absolutely love because for fossorial species, they give them a little more room to dig. For arboreal species, they're not quite so high, so I can put smaller specimens in it. And then we have the 32 ounce deli cups that have also been really good for fossorial species and the arboreal species. I like the 20 ounce ones because I can kind of, they they can be used for just about anything because of the size. A little shorter, obviously, than 32 ounce, a little taller than 16 ounce. Love them. But whether it be deli cups or dram vials, all of them are easy to ventilate to make good sling enclosures. They, the obviously with the dram vials, I use those for very, for smaller slings. I like to grow them up till they get to be about, eh, depending on the size of the vial, honestly. If I'm using the smaller vials, once they get about an inch or so, I put them into usually the deli, larger deli cups. If it's a faster growing or larger specimen, larger vials, once they get to about two inches, sometimes with Pisolotheria, they make that big jump where they go from like two inches three inches obviously it's time to get them the heck out of there it's not enough room but they I find that those make it very easy if you always have some of those on hand and if you don't if you're getting deep into this hobby big tip for you if you're starting to buy a lot of stuff go out there and spend some time and buy some extra I like to go on and buy them in bulk like sleeves of 50 the deli cups the 20 I got the 20 ounce I think off of Amazon uh, bought 32 ounce usually I have 16 32 and 20 ounce ready and then I have a bunch of dram vials those can be a little more difficult to find without buying a bunch of them definitely save your dram vials whenever you get spiders in when you mail order I have bags of them around here that come in incredibly handy when I get new slings in so keep those on hand but definitely have some ready because that makes it sometimes what happens is you get a sling and the person advertises it as a half inch well guess what yeah, last time they looked at it, measured it was half inch, but it's multi sense in. Now it's closer to three quarters inch. You had a little vial ready for it, but you're not sure if it's big enough. It's easy to just go and grab another one out of your garage or out of a box. I have a box in my room where I keep a lot of them in it. Pull them out, set up a new enclosure. So slings are pretty cut and dry. Now there are a couple exceptions to the 
regular deli cup type setups for early on or the dram vials, I can tell you that Theraphosa species and Zenestis species in particular, I don't know if I would start in deli cups. I started a couple of deli cups, they outgrew it in a mold. And these weren't very, you know, I think it was second or third in-star slings. They put on so much size early on that they outgrew those containers super fast. So you might want to find something that's more around the size of a quart. I've used some Sterilite ones, the little hatch ones that were great for larger slings. They're about, I don't know, seven and a half inches by five inches wide by about six inches higher. So that's probably not even correct. But around there, you see them, they got the little hatches. If you watch any of my videos, they're in the videos a lot. I've used them for years. I love those. Something around that size that gives them a little more room would work great. And obviously, the fun thing about slings is we can find everybody. I think a fun part of the hobby is going out there and finding things that we can use for enclosures. So there are probably people out there that have other things they use. That's just what I put most of mine in. I'm looking over the most of my slings are in the deli cups and they are in the dram vials. And then the larger ones are in those kind of rectangular sterilite latching containers. That's about it. I do try other things, but I tend to always go back to those. So slings, pretty easy. Do not stick your slings right into an adult enclosure. I, that, there's very few topics or discussions or debates that I put my foot down on. This is one I feel very, very, very strongly about. And because I've had to get the emails from people where they're like, I don't know what's going on with my sling. I can't find it. I'm, I'm afraid it's dead. I'm like, oh, send me a picture of the setup. And it's like a one-inch sling in a 10-gallon tank. Like, well, of course you can't find it. Is it in there? It may be. Who knows? But it can be very difficult to find the sling after that. So no, do not drop your slings into adult enclosures. If you have a specimen or a species that you're looking at and you want to do that because you're kind of afraid of the rehousings, don't. Wait until you got your rehousings out. There's no avoiding the rehousings. You want to get them down. You want to get the practice as stressful as it may be. That's a big part of the hobby and something you want to get used to. Now, when it comes to juveniles, this is where things can, this is where I think it causes a lot of confusion. And I know when I make videos, I try to do my notes where I tell people, you know, some sizes of or types of containers they can do for slings. The juvenile one is the one that gives me the hardest time because depending on the species, the juvenile may be a totally different size. So if I'm talking about a Fonapelma juvenile, I may be talking about a two and two and a half inch sling. If I'm talking about a, say, T. Sturmy juvenile, I'm talking about four or five inches, if not more. So it's, I think that's why people get confused because A, juvenile's just a made up term. It's, there's no, I've had people go, what age are they a juvenile? I don't know. It depends on the spider. There's no way to really nail it down. It's just kind of a term we use to designate that they've grown out of the sling stage. Usually I talk about when I define juveniles, I talk about when they start showing adult coloration. So they've grown out of the sling stage. They're no longer the little blue slings or little just plain brown slings. They're starting to show some of that patterning. That's the juvenile stage for me. And it depends on the spider. A lot of times though, when we're talking about juveniles and when we're keeping them in the deli cups or in the dram vials, I start looking at when they hit that two inch mark or so it's time to get them into something new. So what can you use? What size containers should you use for juveniles? Again, this is all contingent upon the type of spider, the species of spider. If I'm housing a juvenile, a Fonapelma, Gramostola, Brachypelma species, I am probably going to put mine into something smaller, like around the size of a small critter keeper. I have these small little plastic containers. They're like bathroom plastic. I think it's M Design makes them where they have the hinge top everything I like for some of my slower growing 
juveniles for my larger juveniles. Again, I have that M design shoe box that I used. It's about 12 inches by eight inches by eight inches or 12 by seven and a half by seven and a half. I think it's got the hinge top. I am able to stack them too deep. They are wonderful for anything from about two inches to anywhere you know, around four, four and a half inches. I have a, a piece Osme in it that's about five inches or so that still has some decent room to burrow and move around. So it really depends on the size of the spider. And this is one of the area or one of the sizes that I would concede that if you're thinking of putting it into an adult enclosure to avoid having to do an extra rehousing, then in some cases, I think it makes a lot of sense. For example, I've often done videos on piece Letheria. I will sometimes take a spider, if I'm keeping the spider in a 32 ounce deli cup and it goes through that molt where all of a sudden I look in and it seems to have gone from like two inches to three inches, that three inch spider can be put into an adult enclosure. They are very, they're much more active hunters than some of the other species. They will go out, they will use some of that extra room, they will hunt, they will usually find the prey without issue. That's a species that I would have no problem. Somebody said, hey, is it okay if I take my Pisolotheria regalis from this 32 ounce deli cup and put it in this larger aquarium? In most cases, yes, it's no problem. Again, we talked about Theraphosa species. I, I tend to do, and I'll admit it, I, I don't mind rehousings and I don't mind taking something and doing four rehousings for it over its lifespan. I don't mind that. I know people are like, well, it disrupts the spider. We're disrupting the spider fewer times. We're stressing out the spider fewer times. I found that they settle in very, very quickly after. If you put them in the right type of enclosure, if you put them in a good enclosure with the things they need, they settle down to eat very, very quickly. So I don't think that's a major issue. We talked about that when we talked about tarantula stress. So I will sometimes do more like my Theraphosa species. I will have them in something like that aforementioned sterilite container I was talking about that's about five by five by seven or so that I like for larger slings. And then when they outgrow that after a few molts, then I move them into one of those M design ones. Again, 12 by 7.5 by 7.5 or so. Keep them in there for a little while. Then I might put them into a large sterilite bin. And then once they hit that, when they start getting around eight inches or so, which is a little big for that bin, then I look to put them in something else. And I do have certain of the large species, I have two types of adult enclosures. I'll put them in a smaller adult enclosure until they, because it can take a while for them to get from, say, six inches to that large eight, nine inch mark. During that time period, I keep them something a little smaller. Then when they get to be big monsters, like I have a Theraphosa blondie right now that has outgrown her Sterilite container, she's going to be getting something much bigger, probably closer to a 10-gallon or 15-gallon. That's when I move them out. But I understand when people go, hey, you know what? This I have a Theraphosa sling. It's pushing four inches now. Can I drop it right into its adult enclosure? Yes, as long as that adult enclosure is appropriate. What I mean by that is you want to make sure there isn't too much height. I've seen situations where people have gone and tried to drop them into 10-gallon aquariums they've only got a few inches of substrate you don't want that spider climbing up falling and rupturing its abdomen and hurting itself that's very important so make sure the enclosure has enough places to hide as well give them i would say if you're putting a juvenile into a very large enclosure give it a couple different hides, different places for it to settle in. That'll help it settle in quicker. And then there's really nothing wrong with that at that point as it grows up and grows into that enclosure because certain species, especially the faster growing ones, seem to be much better hunters than some of the slower growing ones in many cases. At least they'll go out a little further than just their den to go hunting. So giving them a little extra room won't hurt. 
But again, I think the key is to make sure they have plenty of cover inside that enclosure. So when I have taken a smaller spider and put it into a larger enclosure, which I don't do very often, but every once in a while I do it, I give them multiple hides, lots of foliage to hide behind, get a plant in there, get some fake plants, get some moss, maybe, you know, three hides. Just give them an environment around them that offers cover because that's going to allow them and entice them to come out and do a little more hunting so they're not just basically hidden in their burrow afraid to come out because a lot of times if you give them a lot of extra space and this is the thing people don't understand that aren't in the hobby about spiders uh, they don't go out and actively hunt like wolf spiders for example will go out and you give them a lot of space they're going to run around trying to find the thing spiders create their dens if there are boreals they create their dens whether it be in a cork bark behind cork bark they web something up the fossorial species they have their den and they wait up there for something to come by and ambush because they are masters at conserving their energy that's why g roseas that's why the g porteri the queen lived so darn long because she barely ever moved even when she was hunting she would only move a couple inches either direction when she hunted she didn't go chasing something across the tank most times so i think that's the part people don't understand is that they're not going to go out and actively hunt. If a tarantula were to get out in my room that we talked to, we joked about the free range tarantulas in an earlier podcast, they don't use that whole room to hunt. They're going to find a spot where they feel safe and secure, probably under my computer desk or under some boxes or in a shoe. Well, I don't have a shoe up here. I have wrapping paper. They could be in a tube of wrapping paper. They're going to find a spot they feel comfortable and they're going to hunt from there. They're not really, if, if they do leave that spot, it's to find another spot that they feel comfortable in. So they do don't need to run around. And I think that's where you start getting the, why are you keeping them in such tiny homes? And people look at our collections and they go, how could you put that beautiful spider in only a 10 gallon tank? Because it doesn't need the extra room. That's something we need to remember. Can it have extra room? Absolutely. And again, it comes down to giving it cover, giving it multiple hides. I have seen situations where people have put tarantulas in larger tanks, given them multiple burrows, places to burrow, hides, cork bark hides, and the spider starts off in one hide, and then after a year or so, a couple years, it just moves over to another hide. It's not that it's going out, it's not that it needs room to exercise, it's just something about it had it out, it went out, it explored, it found a hide that it liked a little bit better. So that's why giving them an extra room is fine, but not necessary. So with juveniles, you want to give them, and juvenile can be an interesting stage too, because as we mentioned when talking about the slower growing species, a lot of the slower growing species, once they hit an inch, inch and a half, they start putting on decent size. So that's where you want to make sure that those juvenile enclosures give them a little bit of room to grow. Although I will say again, the Afonapelma, Gramostoma, Brachypelma, don't go crazy with it. They're not going to grow all that quickly. And another reason people may want to give a spider, go from a sling stage when they put on, you know, two and a half, three inches into adult enclosure, the heavy webbers. I think a lot of times when you're keeping a heavy webbing species, they do so much work webbing, you hate tearing it up. Plus the fact that you, it's neat giving them the opportunity to really web over the course of several years. You see some beautifully webbed enclosures for spiders that are able to do all that webbing from three inches to six inches on. If you take a GBB, that's around two and a half, three inches, and put it in one of those Exoterra 12 by 12 by 12 cubes. By the time that one's an adult, it's going to have that enclosure completely webbed up. So I sometimes will take the heavy heavy webbers and put them into larger enclosures so that I don't have to destroy all that beautiful webbing. Again, they will settle in, but that's one of those spots. If you take a terrestrial tarantula that's just been kind of hovering around the front of its den out and put it in a new one, you see they kind of, it, there's no real indicator that you're doing any damage to its surroundings. It's just like, oh, I'm hiding under this piece of cork bark. Now I'm hiding under this piece of cork bark. However, if you move a heavily webbing species into the new enclosure, 
disclosure, it becomes very quickly apparent that that spider feels a little bit naked sitting out there. It'll go under, it'll start slowly webbing out. You, I totally understand putting one of the heavy webbing ones into a larger enclosure right off the bat to give it that room to web and really create that, those blankets of white that they have all around them. So as far as juveniles and clo- juvenile enclosures are concerned, there's a lot more room for play. There's definitely room for some species to give them larger enclosures. And to give examples of some of the species that I would definitely consider jumping from the sling enclosures right into something that most would consider an adult size enclosure, Theraphosa species, Formictopus species, Pamphibedia species, Salmopia species, the majority of my Salmopias grow very, very quickly, Zenestis species, Pisolotheria come right to the top of my head as ones that all seem to put on a lot of size very quickly. And when they get, you know, they start as slings, they put on size quickly, become juveniles very quickly. And as juveniles tend to march right on to sub-adulthood, young adulthood very, very quickly. So it makes sense to put them in larger enclosures. The ones I wouldn't necessarily do that with are the majority of the slow, really slow-growing species, again, like the Afonopelma, Gramostella, Brachypelma species. Those guys don't need those super-large enclosures. Those, and, and to, to bring up this point, because I know I've talked before about not wanting to spend a lot of money on, this isn't about premium enclosures versus sterilite or found enclosures, but that's one of the, those are the species that I wouldn't mind putting them into more premium enclosures at smaller sizes, because they will spend a lot of time in those enclosures. If you get a, a nice little acrylic sliding top magnet one, any of the million ones that are out there right now, and put your Gramostola pulchra in it. That makes sense to me because that Gramostola pulchra is probably going to be in that enclosure for a good many years. That's a good investment. I think where it becomes, you know, kind of a waste of money at times or a waste of a setup is when you put, you know, I've seen people take a Theraphosa, put it in a little juvenile, a beautiful juvenile enclosure, and within two mulch, it's outgrown it. That's where you got to give some thought to which species you're housing, and that can determine how much money you're going to spend on those enclosures. But again, this isn't about that. This is about sizes. So when I do these videos, it is incredibly difficult to come up with size. I wish I could do a lot of times I can make basically templates for my notes that I put on the side of my videos that kind of reiterate what I'm saying. And I always struggle with the juvenile sizes because there really is a lot of play with it. Sure. I may keep something in a juvenile enclosure that's two quarts or so. Somebody else may keep them in one that's two gallons. And is either of us wrong? Absolutely not. It's it's a matter of taste. So there's a lot more play with juveniles, which is why I've had people before tell me, you should do a video where you just talk about, or a podcast where you just talk about the absolute best sizes for all slings, juveniles, and adults. I can't because there's too many, too much variation between different species as far as growth rate, size, and whatnot. So I can just give you ballparks, and that's about it for this one. So we've talked about slings. Don't drop them in adult enclosures, ever. We've talked about juveniles. You may want to for certain species because they grow more quickly. Just make sure you give them a lot of choices of where to go. Give them some cover so they can go out and explore a bit, figure out where they want to go to grow up to adulthood. Now we get to adults. This is where, if you notice, each size we go up, it gets a little easier. Adults, you can kind of go nuts. Go ham. I've had people come to me and say, hey, I have a Theraphosa Sturmy. She's about nine inches. I want to put her into a... 30 gallon long tank. As long as you have enough substrate in there and you have a correct top, I don't, the mesh top's not gonna work. So hopefully you have some type of top for it that's appropriate, that's secure. As long as there's not gonna be a risk of fall damage, that's where I draw the line. A lot of, unfortunately, a lot of the people that I get that say they wanna drop them in something really big have something they already were using for fish. Fish tanks are for fish. So I get a lot of people that go, hey, I just bought a Theraphosa Sturmy. It's about two inches. 
Um, once it gets bigger, I have a 100-gallon tank in my living room. Will this be a good enclosure for it? My gut instinct says, no, it won't. Uh, you're going to have a hard time. You're going to have to spend a lot of money building something for the top of it to make sure it's secure, something that's probably plexiglass with drill, a lot of drilled holes so you can have that ventilation in it. A 100-gallon tank is going to be super deep as far as height, so you're going to have to fill it with so much dirt and, mind you, moisture because it's a moisture-dependent species that that thing is probably going to weigh close to a ton. I don't think it's it's honestly an appropriate tank. And I, people get kind of upset with me sometimes because they're like, but this is what I have. Well, unfortunately, that's not appropriate for the spider. If you have a doghouse in your backyard and you decide to get goats and you go, well, I have a doghouse. It can live in there. No, you wouldn't do that. So why would you do that with a spider? I don't know. That's the best analogy, but you see where I'm going with it. Find something that's appropriate for the spider. Can you get larger enclosures and set up larger enclosures that are appropriate for big spiders? Absolutely. I've seen some beautiful enclosure designs where people go all out, large, huge enclosures. The spider has plenty of room and they decorate, they have plants, they have hides, they have rocks, whatever it may be. It's a beautiful enclosure. Again, back to that. If you're going to do a big enclosure, make sure you fill it with a lot of stuff. And I don't mean just crap. I mean, fill it with things that are going to help the spider feel more secure when it ventures out or if it ventures out. No, nothing wrong with that, but do keep in mind, they're probably not going to use all of that room. I have experimented in the past. I once rehoused my Pamphibedius antinus into this large Ziploc container I had. It was like two and a half feet by three feet by I think like a foot and a half tall. Lots of dirt, room the burrow, put some plants in there. She went in the burrow, did just a little digging out and hid in the burrow, never came out anywhere else. I had to move her water dish more closely to her because I realized that when I poured water into moisten the substrate, she'd immediately go down and start drinking the water and she had two big full water dishes in there. So she wasn't even venturing far enough out to get the water dishes. Now, in... in I revisiting this mentally, I could have done more. I could have given her burrows on the other side. I did not do that. There was some good, I thought I had some good coverage in there and some good fake foliage as some vines going around the top and everything probably could have done more in that department. So that could be on me. So that goes back to the, if you're going to give them that, that room and you want them to feel comfortable venturing out, then you got to make sure you give them some places to hide behind some coverage. In my case, I probably could have done better. That could have been part of it, but she didn't really, she ate, she molted, she did great. And she didn't really venture out out too far from her burrows or her burrow and that's the reality of most species of tarantulas they will not if you have a fossorial species forget about it. they're going to hide right out they might have their legs hanging out into the open and the mouth of that burrow a bit but they're generally not going to venture out all that much sometimes they'll come out at night they'll go over grab a drink a couple inches from their burrow go right back in they're not going to go out and actively hunt so if you give them that space is it necessary no, giving them all that extra space is not necessary. Does it give them, is there some benefit for the spiders by giving them a bunch of extra room? I have yet to see any evidence that it does. Again, these guys conserve energy. It doesn't make sense for them to be out wandering all the time. There's a reason why when people's spiders start wandering around the enclosure, especially ones that are supposed to be burrowing or hiding, they freak out because that's not normal behavior for them. Usually they should settle in, hunger down, create their burrow, have their den, and they hunt from there. So is there any benefit for them? I don't see any benefit for an animal that is an ambush predator that likes to conserve its energy if somebody does something out there or they produce some type of evidence that they do require or, or can benefit from extra space i'd love to see it but you don't need it 
It doesn't mean you can't give it to them. It doesn't mean it can't make for a beautiful enclosure. It doesn't mean it can't make for a big giant enclosure. Your spider has some choice eventually whether or not it wants to stay in its end. Because again, that's when they're going to venture out. If they venture out, they do a little exploring and go, hey, this place is actually better than my other one. They may adopt that other area as their den. So it doesn't hurt. I want to make that very clear because I've had some people too say that they put things in big enclosures. They've shown me pictures and said, I posted pictures of these online and people told me it was a waste of space and I'm wasting my time. Not necessarily. It depends. If you have a smaller collection and you want to put your spiders in bigger, more, you know, a lot of people start doing the bioactive stuff or you just want to make something that say, I've seen people that have them in their living rooms. They want something that looks beautiful. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. And I will never, I will never give somebody a hard time for that. Cause I've had people say, yeah, I know you like them in smaller enclosures. I've never said that for me personally. I don't have a lot of them in over large enclosures because again, I don't feel like it's, there's any real benefit for the spider. And I have so many of them. That means more room for me to have my you know collection, but that doesn't mean you can't do that. So I want to be very clear on that one because I have had many people in the past come to me and go, I know you don't like larger enclosures as long as it's an appropriately large enclosure. If you're dropping them in again, that hundred gallon tank and you only got six inches of substrate. And I see a picture of your spider, like two feet off the ground, clung to the side of the glass. Yeah, that's not a appropriate. If you have it in a 30 gallon long that's you've filled with eight inches of substrate, you've got plants, you've got hides, you've got all kinds of safe, you know, types of decorations. You don't have a mesh, a wire mesh top on. Yeah, no problem with that whatsoever. I think what happens is when we get into the hobby, and I remember this myself, I struggled early on. Like I'd get a spider in and I'd be like, all right, I'm doing the 32 ounce deli cup. It's an arboreal species. And I'd see this little tiny arboreal in this big old cup and be like, oh, I don't know if this works. And I think I mentioned earlier, I didn't use dram vials for many years. I just didn't, I don't know what it was. I didn't like the dram vials. And then slowly but surely I started using the dram vials. I'm like, oh, okay, I get it now. It's, it's very, it's hard to sit there and tell people this is what you need to use. These are the sizes because there are no standard sizes. There's all different size spiders, there's different growth rates, different, you know, max sizes, different sizes of juvenile. There's no really one right or wrong answer for the most part as to this is what you should use for a sling. This is what you should use for a juvenile. This is what you should use for adult. There's a lot of play there, which I think is one of the more fun aspects of the hobby. That's what allows us to go out, hit Walmart, the container store, um, the Hobby Lobby, and look at some of these containers and go, what could I put in here? What size would work in here? That's part of the fun of the hobby. So I would never strip that away from people by going, this is what you have to use. I will always tell people what I'm using, why I like it, where I get it. It might be because it's inexpensive. It might be because it's easily modified. It might be because it, be because it looks great on the shelf. It might be all of them. But do you have to use those? No. And so that's why I can't do a definitive list. I have been working on a video for quite some time now that basically I show off what I use, what my go-tos are for slings, juveniles, and adults looking at arboreal, fossorial, terrestrial. And it's just, the problem is every time I go to make this video, I find something new I want to use. So what was originally just a handful of enclosures, now I've got so many different types I use that I think people could enjoy as well and benefit from that I don't know where to draw the line. This could easily be a three-hour video of me just going, and then there's this, and then these work, and these work as well. So I think that's why this question gets asked as much as it does. What are good, uh, what, what do you use for juveniles? When, what do you use for adults? What do you use for slings? What sizes should you use? Because there is no definitive answer. All of those questions out there in the tarantula hobby that there is no definitive answer, that's a giant strip of gray area. Those are the ones are going to keep getting asked over and over again. Because when you get in the hobby, you don't want to hear, well, it doesn't really, there's a bunch of different things you can use. There's no real definitive size. You don't want to hear that. You want to hear, 
you have a sling, put it in this container. You have a juvenile, put it in this container. You have an adult, put it in this container. And unfortunately, we can't really do that. So that's why it keeps getting asked. That's why it's sometimes fun to revisit these. So hopefully it gives people that are, you know, just entering the hobby and struggling with this, when to rehouse, when to put them into a new enclosure, what to put them into. They hear something like this and realize, don't stress over. Go out there. Look at what other people are doing. I do think this is something that YouTube can be good for. I know I kind of, I'm down on YouTube quite a bit, but it does give you visuals. You can go out there and see what other keepers are using. Granted, some of them, not good. There's keepers out there that, you know, put them in things that are way too small and they get defensive spiders. That's not good, but you can get an idea of just looking at some of these people out there. What's out there in terms of availability? What size spider do they have? You look up a Fauna Pelma, uh, I don't know, Calcotas, and you get a bunch of people, what are they keeping their juveniles in? I have a two-inch juvenile. This guy's a two-inch juvenile. That looks like a nice enclosure. Where can I get that? I think that's part of the fun of the hobby, and I think that's, for many of us who have been in it for a while, you start off, you stress. You stress about what to put them in, and later on, years down the road, it's one of the most fun parts. What can I put them in? What can I put them in there? I've got a, a right now, a rehouse my, I don't know, Salmapias Cambridge Eye. What am I going to put her in? Well, I've got this tank over here. This would be nice. It, it's part of that. It's part of the fun. Just figuring out, being creative, figuring out what to put them in as long as it's appropriate. So, Try not to stress when there's a rehousing coming up. Try not to stress about what you're going to use. There's obviously, if you have time, usually you don't get surprised by a rehousing. Usually you know when a rehousing is coming up with most species. Every once in a while you get one, like I told the story of my H. gigas, where I had it in 32-ounce deli cup for like a year. I never saw the slings. I opened it up and there was a three and a half, four-inch spider sitting right in the top. I was like, whoa, that needs a rehousing like now. Sometimes you get surprised. Most of the time, you know when there's one coming. So shop in advance. Have fun with it. I mean, again, it can be expensive, but go out and go on Amazon. Go on to Walmart. Find some things you want to try out. Put some holes in them. See how they work. Set them up. I think a lot of us that are in the hobby for a while have an easier time with this because we've always got things in our garage or in a spare room or in a closet that aren't being used that we can pull out in an emergency. I know if I suddenly had to rehouse juvenile a boil right now, I probably have 20 things in my garage that I can use. So, that's something you can always, as you're in the hobby more, it becomes easier because you have those things there ready to go. It makes it a lot easier to just go out and go, all right, you know what? Uh, this one really should get rehoused right now. I'm going to go out in the garage, grab my, I don't know, extra large critter keeper, set it up and make a little arboreal enclosure for it, whatever it may be. I think a lot of us get to that point where you have them there. For those that feel like you're getting deep into the hobby, you you recognizing, and, and I've spoken to you guys before, and I was one of those ones where I looked, I, I've told the story before, I turn around the building, I go, I can see myself having 30 of these things. And obviously it went much further than that. But there's a lot of us that recognize we're going to get into this deep start investing a little money on trying out some enclosures at the same time. Don't be caught in a situation where it's now I got to rehousing. I don't know what to put it in or where this is also helpful is when you get order spiders online, you get them in and they're bigger than you thought they would be, or they're smaller. I can't tell you how many people I get panicked emails from. I just bought these spiders. I had an enclosure set up for it. I just saw the spider. I don't think it's going to work for it. What should I do? And that sucks. I've been there. I've, I've been in situations where I go to do a rehousing. I'm like, I don't have an, a, proper, a proper enclosure. I've done the trips to Walmart or Home Depot or someplace to get something that I could use. So I get that. And it's especially prevalent early on when you don't have all those extra enclosures sitting around. So have some fun. Try some stuff out. Make that be something you do as part of the hobby. Hey, I have my transfers going over here. I'm not buying anything this week. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to go to Walmart, Container Store, go online, Amazon, try out some of these ones that I've seen people use and see if they work for me. Worst case scenario, 
oil, you pick something up, you don't like it all that much, use it for something else. I can't tell you how many plastic bins I have around here that I bought for tarantulas that I end up using for storage. You, no harm, no foul. And it, a lot of them are fairly cheap, so are inexpensive. So if you buy them, it's not like you're breaking the bank. It, it doesn't hurt to go out and spend 20 or 30 bucks every couple of weeks and try some stuff out. In that case, and sometimes you buy stuff, you go, eh, I don't know if I'm going to use this. And later on, years later, you go, actually, this will work pretty well for this species. So... Those are my tips to you. Don't stress about the enclosure sizes. Just don't drop your, just be careful about dropping really small ones into big enclosures. It's, it's just, I never, ever, ever, ever encourage that. That'll be the one thing I never back down from because I've just seen too many issues with people putting them in not overly large enclosures, having a hard time finding if the spider ate or where the spider burrowed. So putting them in something that big, it's just, it's causing you stress. It's eventually going to cause the spider stress in many cases, not worth it. So that will do it for this one. Usually this is the point where I say I just posted a video on YouTube. I don't have the video done yet. Unfortunately, it's been a long week. I'm back teaching. I'm spending a lot of time getting my stuff ready. I'm working on a video with Brocky Pelma Smithy, which I'm hoping to finish and post today, but I might not. We'll see how it goes. I'm not going to stress about it. Whatever. If I get it up, I get it up. So if you're interested in checking out the videos, feel free to check that out. Also, I've been talking a while about the fact, probably over, I think I've been on this thing for like a year and a half. Uh, there's a web, I have a website for the podcast. I basically got approached like a year and a half ago by somebody, a huge startup that was trying to make websites for podcasts so that people can interact more. You can rate the podcast. There's like a star system. You can give it one to five stars. Be gentle. And then you can actually comment on the podcast. There's a comment. Like that's the one thing I miss about YouTube. As far as a podcast is concerned, YouTube, I put a video up, at least we can get a dialogue going. With the podcast, it's on Facebook. A lot of people aren't on Facebook. And then I get the reality of the fact that podcasts, a lot of people just have their podcast program, on whether it be Amazon, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, whatever it may be, and there's no real opportunity for them to chime in. They're listening to it. They're not going to go then jump on their cell phone or jump on a computer, go to a site and leave a, a comment. But there are people that will. So trying to figure out a way to do this. So long story short, I got contacted. The guy was just developing the site. I said, this will be great. What's it going to have? He goes, it'll have a ratings feature. It'll have comments. And so I go, all right, let's, let us let me give it a shot. So he had built the whole thing for me. It was pretty much all done. I just have to create a banner for it. And he hadn't had the comments on first. I was waiting for that. I was waiting for the ratings. Well, all that stuff's there. And I just haven't gotten around to talking about it or launching it. I did want to add a couple things to it. It also has the last few videos I put up, which I think is cool because some people will go over the podcast audience and the YouTube audience, two different groups of people, most part. But some people will pop over and go, oh, you know what? I'll check out that video. At least then if I reference a video. You can pop right over on the website, click on the video, and go watch it instead of having to go hunt for it. So anyway, I'm going to give it a shot. I've been paying for it for a year and a half, so I might as well give it a shot. Talk about a waste of money. I, I just plan on launching this a long time ago. So for any folks who want to come over there, give it a look-see. Tell me what you think. Tell me if it's worth it. Should I keep it running? You know, we'll give it, obviously, give it a time, some time to see if some people gravitate over. You can subscribe to episodes from here. It's a spot that you can rate them. We can comment. We can get some comment, you know, some dialogue going. Let me know. So it's Tom's dash big dash spiders dash tarantulas dash and dash inverts dot on podium dot com. And what I'll do is I'll put a link to this in the actual podcast description. So folks that want to come here, I'd love it if people, you know, again, don't go out of your way. I don't want people doing anything other than what they're comfortable with doing. I'm not, this isn't a plug, like everybody come over here. 
if it works out, it works out great. I, I told people before, I'm not on Facebook all that much. It's I don't get on it to check the comments. I'm just not a huge Facebook fan. This would be something that if it got going and people were on here leaving comments, and, and I would definitely monitor it. I definitely respond back. And I, it could be a great platform for people to kind of give their feedback to episodes, which is great for when I'm trying to, like, for example... Today, this episode, I was able to go back to last episode and we talked about the slowest growing and I was able to get some feedback from folks and be able to discuss that. And I think it's cool because it allows you guys a chance to have a voice as well. So if you want to try it out, Tom's Big Spiders, Tarantulas and Inverts on Podium.com. I'll put a link in. Come over there, join me, leave some comments, let me know what you think. And we'll take it from there. Hopefully, I get some folks over. We'll see how it goes. If it works out great, we'll keep it. If not, I'm going to stop paying for it. Every every month, I get this bill like, this is going to bill. And I'm like, what is that? Oh, that's right, that website. So hopefully, we'll get that going. And hopefully, it could be a nice tool to kind of, again, give you guys even a bigger voice as far as the podcast concerned is concerned. There we go. I'm losing my voice here. My voice is getting dry. I have a coffee here that I should be taking a, a lube up my throat a bit. But uh, we'll wait till the end of the podcast. We're, we're almost here. Home stretch. So... You guys know the deal. Find me at TomsBigSpiders.com. You can find me on YouTube. Uh, obviously, you can find me here. And you can find me on Tom's Big Spiders Tarantulas Inverts on Podium.com. So feel free to join me there. I'd be very appreciative for anybody that gives it at least gives it a shot. Well, again, it's, it's a trial basis thing. We'll see how it goes. That will do it for this one. I'm praying that in post, I can get this cricket out of the background. The good thing is it never shut up. I have always do these podcasts and the crickets stop right when I get to the end where I got to do that place where I let it run a little bit, record and get the background noise and get it out. They always stop then, but it kept going. So I should thank it. Instead, I hope one of the house spiders I have in here eats it because it really annoyed me. That'll do it for this one, guys. Stay safe. We'll catch you all next time.